Hi everyone. This conversation between myself and my guest Walt Hubis, who by the way is not only a Hoffman graduate, but also our sound engineer for the podcast and married to a fellow Hoffman teacher, which you'll hear all about. What I love about our conversation is how his taking a leap of faith, in other words, letting his spirit lead, completely changed his life. He took a chance, ignored his patterns, went into the unknown, journeyed inward, and as a result, came back into his life a more balanced and aligned version of himself. I hope you enjoy this lovely conversation. Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. My name is Sharon Moore, and I'm one of your hosts. And on this podcast, we talk to Hoffman graduates about how their courageous journey inward impacted their personal lives, but also how it impacted their community and the world at large. So tune in and listen in and hear how our graduates' authentic selves, how their love, how their spirits are making a positive impact on our world today. In other words, get to know their love's everyday radius. Hi, Walt. Welcome to the show. Hi. Good morning, Sharon. So happy you're here. Walt, I want to start with a unique place because you are a unique person and you are connected to Hoffman. So Walt volunteers his time and is our sound engineer for all the podcasts. The reason why this sounds lovely for you right now is because Walt puts his heart and his skills towards our podcasts. And he is also married to a Hoffman teacher. So I would love to know, Walt, what is it like being married to a Hoffman teacher? Well, that's great. Uh, <laughs> I surprised you, huh? You know, it's, it's been really interesting. One of the things that's really nice about it is I'd done the process uh, prior to my wife doing the process, and then uh, she did it shortly after, like within a year or so. And one of the things that really made it super nice for us was that whenever we got into situation, we had a really loving relationship to begin with. So it was a, it was a really, we had gone through a lot. We had developed an emotional language between us. But what happened with the Hoffman is we found that when we got into areas where we disagreed or when our patterns would really take over, and we both had some pretty strong patterns, we now at least had, a, had sort of a mutual alignment on, oh, that's a pattern. That's something we need to look at. And it also kind of gave us a language for how to work through some of those things that had happened you know, and some of the issues that we faced. And so that was extremely useful to us moving forward. And our relationship has continued to grow in depth and, and breadth as well. We also did, uh, subsequent to that, we also did one of, the, uh, one of the couples sessions, which we found to be extremely good and really zeroed in on some of the things we had learned. But, you know, even as you go through between two people, there's always areas where you can't quite figure out what's going on. And that was, those were extremely helpful to us to be able to figure out, you know, the, the couples course to help us to be able to kind of figure out and work through some of the issues that we had. 
Now, you know, from a pragmatic level, it's always been interesting. Uh, one of the things, of course, when you're married to a Hoffman teacher is there's a lot of travel involved. Uh, and it's kind of funny because when in, I was, I'm in the high tech field uh, for most of my career, and there used to be a lot of travel for me. And then that travel tapered off to where the point now where there's actually no travel for me. But then Joe's, you know, travel has gone up because uh, Hoffman has been actually really keeping her very, very busy. Um, so it's uh, it's always an interesting thing. It turns out one of the most interesting things about that relationship is that, you know, I get, I'm an introverted heart, and so I get all of my introvert time in spades, you know? And part of the problem for Joe is she's, she's more, you know, in the middle between the introvert-extrovert range, but the problem that she has is how do we get her time of her own? How do we get her time of, you know, to be alone, to go do the things that she needs to do on her own? So that's, uh, you know, if anything, that's kind of the most interesting challenge that we face right now is, is I get all of my together time and then I get all of my alone time. But for Joe, it's just togetherness all the time. So, <laughs> so it's a bit tough. Yeah. Yeah, that's. So as a teacher myself, I know that that's, that is a challenge for us because we are so driven to do this work and it fills us so deeply. Sometimes we forget to give ourselves some time too. And that's really important. One of the things I take a great deal of pride in, in working with Joe, and, and this is true of all the teachers. I mean, what's really awesome about it is that whenever Joe started her training to be a teacher, you know, that was kind of a financial burden for us because Joe had a very, very good consulting business going on. She works with a lot of the uh, mid-sized cities here in Colorado as a consultant and uh, as a management consultant. So uh, it was a very, uh, actually a very good lucrative career that she enjoyed very much. But the ability to go into Hoffman and teach uh, was just overwhelming for her. So we had to figure out from a financial basis, you know, how do we pull that off? How did one of us drop one of our salaries pretty much uh, so that she could go off and study to be a teacher? So what ended up happening was I came to realize that, you know, in my field, in, in tech field, it's when you go to that job and you do that work, it's really about making money. There's not a lot of great social impact associated with it. It's like, who can come up with the better, faster gizmo? Right. And uh, with the intent of selling more of them. And of course, the problem that I ran into was I was, especially after Hoffman and especially as I've gotten older and, and more mature, it was really hard for me to find a way to give back to the community, to find a way that if you look at everything that's going on in the world today, and it's just, it's astonishing to me, how on earth can we affect the mindset? How can we improve the social? network that we have? How do we actually make life better for people? And it was really difficult for me to do that from my perspective, because of course, you know, most of these high tech jobs are pretty demanding, they require, you know, full time. Uh, so there's not a lot of time to go off and do other things. So the way that this kind of worked out for us is that I said, Okay, well, look, I'll continue to do my uh, high tech work. You go off and do the Hoffman. And the relationship that we have now is, even though I can't say, contribute as much as I'd like to making the world a better place on my own. What I'm able to do is I'm able to do it kind of vicariously, right? I can do it through Joe. Joe goes in, works with people, and changes people one person at a time. Every time she goes out, there's a class, 
something happens, somebody changes for the better. And so that's been kind of the, the, the joy of it for me, has been able to say, okay, Joe, I'll take care of the finances. Don't worry about it. You go off and do the work in the world that, the, that this world needs right now. So, uh, and of course, now that she's a full-time teacher and stuff like that, it's uh, the financial pressure isn't as great. But still, we still feel very strongly that this is the most immediate impact we can make in kind of a, I hate to say it, kind of a messed up world right now. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that is an accurate assessment. I, I got to tell you, I'm very moved by the we-ness of your unit, how you, how you both operate you know, she's the teacher, but this is the unit that is impacted by it. The unit of you and her, the family. I love how deep your togetherness runs. I can feel it. Yeah, we've been together now, I'm guessing for something like 20, 25 years, something like that. So we've put a lot of time into trying to develop our relationship and stuff. And, you know, to be honest with you, you got to admit, there's, there's something fundamental there that underlies it all that I don't, I don't quite know how to quantify or how to put a name on. But it's just something that the two of us feel strongly enough about our relationship with the other person, that we're willing to step back from our own personal thing sometime and just say, okay, what's the bigger picture here? What's the broader picture? And Joe's been very good at doing that. That's why, you know, her whole career was in human resources and things like that. You know, and being in technology, <laughs> I was always, uh, you know, my intellect is very, very strong. And it, uh, it took uh, quite a bit of work for to, to let the intellect kind of sit back and, and let that emotion and spiritual parts come into play much more strongly. And as we were able to do that, the relationship has just continued to grow and flourish. Anytime I teach with Joe, I hear how much I love Walt more and more every day. This is what I hear. So uh, now, now it's confirmed from both sides. But I also want to touch upon that uh, you give your time to, to us. And how did that happen? Not only are you as a unit sending Joe out to teach and impact uh, the students, you also volunteer your time with all the sound engineering you do for us. How did that come about? Uh, one of the things that happened, I think, in a really big way was the start of the COVID. And uh, whenever the pandemic started, Joe and I both saw that Hoffman was in kind of a, a difficult position. The power of doing a process is astonishing, but it's very much something that you've got to be physically present for. There's some other things that they came, that the Hoffman uh, folks came up with that were really very, very good. I've actually had some of those, but you know, they're virtual and they just don't have the same impact as the face-to-face -face physical instantiation of the process, right? So, one of the things that happened was back at the beginning of the process, it was like, well, everybody was scrambling. How do we achieve the goals of the Hoffman process and the Hoffman Institute without being able to do in-person things? How do we do this? So there was this shift to a more virtual environment. And of course, my expertise in, in technology, I've been doing sound for many years and photography and video and all that stuff. And at the same time, Joe is, you know, she's of the age that uh, she's very, very comfortable with technology, uh, with using things like Zoom, 
comfortable around a computer, all of that stuff. And so we began to talk a little bit, and some of the ideas that came up was, uh, for example, to record visualizations. Um, I've been involved with that for quite a while, uh, just because I had some nice audio equipment here, and we needed to record Joe to do some of her visualizations. And, you know, I actually donated some time to actually go out to White Sulphur Springs when it was still part of Hoffman to do some recording of visualizations of various teachers there. Uh, and it just kind of developed uh, with the staff and some of the folks within Hoffman that said, hey, let's start doing the podcast. And so for me, it was kind of like it was the perfect thing because, you know, I had the skill with the audio editing techniques. I understood how the technology worked and how to get the best sound out of everything. So it was just, it was kind of a natural way for me to say, oh, here's something I enjoy doing. And at the same time, provides a nice benefit to somebody else. So that's always a win-win in my book. So, <laughs> so that's just, um, you know, it's just what we started to do. Yeah, and it's it's not small. It is it is the the level of detail that goes into sound engineering and the time invested. Um, I know me as the one of the podcast hosts is so grateful. Our producer is grateful, and the quality is amazing. So, on behalf of all of us, thank you. And I think it's important. It's not just that Joe is giving by being a teacher. It's that you are also giving by volunteering your time in a huge way for the podcast and all the recordings. So. I want to go back to something I heard you say earlier. So you actually took the process before Joe. Yeah, I took the process in something like 2002. And what, what was going on? So back at that time, I was working as an engineer for a company, and I had been involved with a company that was an extremely great company. I had a research and development center here in a little town called Longmont, north of uh, Denver. And uh, the company was based out in Boston. And my job was to, we set up a research and development team uh, here in Colorado. My job was to get everybody hired in and get a product developed. And uh, it was pretty, it was pretty cool. It was uh, one of the best jobs of my life because the company, the HR people were very enlightened. They wanted the best people they could get. They were work, they were willing to negotiate and work with people to make things right. Uh, just a fantastic uh, organization. And uh, we grew the organization to about 40 people here. So it was it was a big job, but at the same time, it was very, very satisfying because uh, you were able to really help people create great careers. I mean, it was fantastic. Well, what happened was that company got sold, as startups often do, to another company, which was a big San Diego uh, firm with a lot of military background. And uh, it turned into a real nightmare for me. I was just really, really unhappy with my work. And I was, you know, Joe, because Joe was such an HR person, she was kind of like my, my sounding block. You know, she, I could go to her and say, God, I got this HR problem and I got this HR manager and it's, oh, it's terrible and blah, blah, blah. So after a while, Joe kind of laid it on the line. She goes, you know, Walt, I can't do this all day at work and then come home and have you do it with me all night. We got to stop this. And she was a little more insistent than that. She goes, either you figure this out or I'm leaving. I'm going to head out. So it was it was the ultimatum, right? And the problem was it was leaking over into my entire life. I had divorced my wife a couple years earlier, like my my first wife a couple years earlier. So I had my kids coming over and it was yeah, you know, it was bad because it affected the kids. This stress and this this oh god, it was a sorrow because something that's so beautiful had turned into such crap. And so 
we really had to work through that. And so I was actually seeing a therapist at that point in the game. And um, from actually from the divorce with my first wife, um, to kind of work through some of the, you know, the anger and the and the loss that's associated with that. Uh, and his suggestion to me was first, was not to go to the Hoffman process. His suggestion to me was first to go down to the uh, to this uh, outfit down in um, Durango, Colorado, in the southwestern corner of the state, called uh, Los Animas Institute. And what they do down there is they do Native American uh, programs based on the Native American rituals that they do, you know, like the fasting and all of that stuff. A vision quest, typically, is what it's called. And he suggested I go do that. And, you know, in, in looking back on it, it was brilliant, because I went and did that, like, in uh, October I, or September. So what ended up happening was I ended up quitting my job. Like some of the other guests you've had here, I quit my job without having anything to go to. I didn't have another job lined up. You know, I was paying, I had, I was really concerned because things like child support and I was, you know, I was paying a lot of child support to my ex, which was okay. It was, you know, it was really useful, but boy, you know, if you don't, if you don't make your child support payments, <laughs> the state comes after you. So it, there was this pressure. But in spite of all of that, I quit the job. I had enough money set aside that I could, I could survive for a while. So what ended up happening was I went down in September and did the vision quest. And then the following month, I came back from the vision quest and my therapist said, well, how was that? I said, oh, that was really interesting. <laughs> and he said, okay, well, I got one more for you. And that was Hoffman. So he recommended I go do the Hoffman process. So in November, or excuse me, October, I did the Hoffman process out in uh, White Sulphur Springs in California. What struck me about it was, was I really got to hand it to my therapist because you know, as an engineer all of my life working in technology and stuff like that, and, and as a result of my parents as well, the intellectual side just overwhelmed everything. And uh, there was not really room for anything else. But clearly there was. I mean, just by virtue of the fact that I was able to jump out of where I was and into the unknown, there was something there. What was interesting, the vision quest is what really allowed me to kind of break loose from the grip of the intellect the all-encompassing powerful grip. That's what really shook it up because, you know, if you, when you go into those Native American kind of rituals, there's a lot of drumming, there's a lot of time in nature. To this day, so many things I recall, so many unique, interesting things that happened to me during that pace that kind of opened me up. I think if I would have gone to the Hoffman process being so tightly ensconced in my, my intellect, I, I don't think I would have gotten as much of the Hoffman process as I did. And so what ended up happening then was I, I went and did the Hoffman process. And then Joe and I had a little time. We took a vacation just together, just, you know, to talk through it and to understand, you know, because this really opened up a whole new realm of my life. And I got a call from an old friend of mine who said, uh, hey, Walt, I heard you're looking for a job. <laughs> and I said, well, not yet, but sure. So sure enough, I got another job with a, a company and an old group of colleagues that I had uh, that I worked at for 12 years after that. You know, everything just fell into place. I want to say magically, but it really just, it just really worked out well. You know, I, I know you, you say the intellect just uh, kind of goes on overdrive. But the way you talk about things, even when you go back to that original job, the R&D product development, it feels like there was more than just intellect there. It was, you know, you were fulfilled. It was this great HR. Uh, you got to see people step into their full potential. Um, and then the second it changed, 
the intellect wasn't able to justify it. There was something that wasn't working. And if it was just the intellect, you could have just checked in, checked out, clocked in, clocked out, done the work and gotten out. But it wasn't feeling something was actually stronger than the intellect at that moment. And then not to mention, you took a leap of faith. That's one of the things I've never really been able to do is just to have a job that's just there for the money. I mean, I feel like I have to be making a contribution at a high level. I mean, even today, I'm, I'm kind of at the point in my career where, you know, the kind of work I do is not so much for one company, but I do a lot of work related to industry-wide standards. So I'm working across multiple companies with a variety of technologies to define the next generation of technology, right? So even there, you know, I mean, there's got to be something more than just being an engineer or being an intellect. There's got to be a bigger role that I can step into, whether that's helping to develop people that are uh, engineers or that are working or, you know, in some kind of a guiding role, or whether that's moving the technology as a whole across the entire industry forward. There's got to be more than just that, that workaday attitude of bringing home a paycheck. First of all, I want to say it's good to know we have some people that are taking, that are viewing technology with a lens of responsibility. I think just as a person living in this moment in life, I want to know I've got somebody thinking things through for what's going to happen. What's the, what's the, how do we make a positive impact with technology? So I have to say to you, that gives me some peace of mind knowing that. And the other thing is that it seems to me like, like I said, you were never just fully intellect. Maybe it was that there was conflict over who's going to be the leader. And what shifted was, was okay, they're now maybe all on equal footing. And it, like you said, you were always looking to have an impact. There was, you know, I actually find just listening to you, this is not a person who's just robotically driven by intellect. This is somebody who's got a big spirit. And maybe it was in conflict. Maybe there was the internal battle between spirit and, and uh, intellect, or maybe child. I don't know. I also find that you're so creative, just hearing you talk or knowing what you do with the sound. You've got such a creative spirit. Do you think it was an internal conflict that has somewhat subsided and is no longer in conflict? I think that's very true. You know, if you go back in our family history, and this, is, this was the beauty of Hoffman, was that when I went back into the history, my grandparents came here uh, quite literally off the boat from Eastern Europe uh, on both sides. They ended up in Western Pennsylvania, so like Pittsburgh and uh, some other some areas around there. They ended up there during the Depression. So they lived through the Depression. You know, security was a very big deal for them, a good job. My father went on to work for a large uh, oil company, uh, spent his entire career there. So it was definitely the men in the gray flannel suit. But on the other hand, my mother went off and became, I think she got her master's degree in chemistry. Uh, she was the first person to graduate from college, first woman to graduate from college in her family history. That would have been around 19, right after the war. And they got together and we were living in Western Pennsylvania. And so she, was, she worked as a college instructor teaching uh, chemistry labs. And my father was, like I said, working for Gulf Oil. But their whole thing was, number one, security. Be whatever you do, you've got to be secure. The second thing was, get a good job. Be an engineer. <laughs> be a doctor. Be a lawyer. Be something that gives you the money because you're going to work. And then whenever you get done, 
you'll be able to do whatever you want, but be secure first and make the income. So, of course, my my joy in life at that point in the game was I was I was good with electrical things. I was always very good at electronic things. I could put things together. I just had an innate understanding of how they worked. But at the same time, I was also doing photography. When I was like nine years old, I discovered my father's all my father's old photo stuff. He used to be a bit of an amateur, so he had developing and processing gear and all that stuff. Yeah, some cameras. So since that time, I've been doing photography, lots of photography. In fact, I worked my way through college as an electrical engineer doing photography for the state of Colorado. So there's always been this yin and the yang between the creative side, which is spirit and emotion, and then the engineering side, how things work, which is kind of this intellectual side. What happened with those two was they were always in tension with each other as I went through. I always wanted to do more of the photography. But like I said, I started doing a lot of work with photography. And in fact, after I was done with college, I worked full time as a photographer. But then I had kids. And then we had insurance bills. And then we had a house payment. And I was working a lot of long hours doing photography. And I had this electrical engineering degree, and people that wanted me to come design stuff for them, which was much better. So I went ahead and switched roles. And of course, as soon as I switched roles, now it was like, oh, geez, I wish I had more time to do photography, right? So, so that just kept going on. And I also enjoyed music a lot when I was a kid. I, I, we were always in, you know, we always had the band at high school and, and all of that jazz. So the problem was once you guy got into the engineering path, it was kind of hard to get out because you, you had come to have expectations about income, you had a lifestyle, and it, was, it really was hard, at least initially, to, to let those two sides, if you will, come into fruition. So it really wasn't until, like I said, I reached this crisis point where I realized that I was just more than just here to make money, that I was also here to enjoy my life and to be creative. I, I had this strong urge to bring my ideas into existence the creative process. And uh, I think part of what happened is part of that, uh, that whole thing with Hoffman process and with doing the vision quest was it opened that up for me. The feeling I always had and, and the way I visualized it internally was inside of me, there was this sphere, this crusty, dark sphere that was just sitting there. And my job was to crack it open and let the light within come out. And that's what happened. That's the way, that's what I visualized when I was doing that, was this, this crusty, dark sphere. But once I was able to crack it open, the light was coming out and it was gone. So, You know what I like about that is we cracked it open, the light came out, and it wasn't, I'm never going to be an engineer. It was, I'm going to be an engineer and I feel balanced about it because I also do fill in the blank, photography, music. Right. So it wasn't a complete, uh, I know it came from crisis, but once that light came out, it was just kind of a rebalancing internally. Right. It was that cathetic moment that you have to have sometimes to, to break out. And, and, you know, one of the interesting things was uh, after the process, of course, uh, I don't know if it's still this way, but at that time, you would go back to your parents and you'd have a talk with them about what you learned and about you know, acceptance and forgiveness. And I went back, my father was still alive at the time. I went back and had a talk with my father and he, he sat back and he said, you know, he said, I've always been impressed at the way you've moved forward in your life 
on your own terms. Which just took me by surprise, because here are the guys that said, you know, get the engineering degree, you got to do it. And all of a sudden, it was like, no, you did it on your own terms, and you did okay. That was great. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. Yeah, it's, you know, often we talk about the internalized negative parent. They may have changed around us, but what got lodged inside of us were those words that we heard in our formative years turning into our own dark side with us telling it. And meanwhile, they're like, oh, no, wow, look at you. You're doing it on your own terms. But we're still actually internalizing those patterns, that belief that security is number one, get a good job. You know, now that I'm a father as well, I'm seeing it from my father's perspective. I can also see, you know, yeah, I've changed a lot since the early days, right? Since I started my career, I've changed a lot. I've got a very different opinion, but... You know, sometimes my kids don't see that. It can lead to a little bit of difficulty sometimes. But uh, what's nice about it is even from that perspective, is I'm able to see that, ah, they're still living with an image of me that's different. My younger daughter was still living with us whenever I went through the process. Uh, You know, actually, I kind of asked her the other day about that. I said, what did you, did you notice something? And she goes, it was like night and day. They were always a little bit afraid because I was pretty volatile. I got angry easily. It was walking on eggshells. I came back from the process, and I kind of realized, oh, I understand why that was. So I was able to, that behavior changed for me. I'm not saying I changed it, but the result of the process and doing all that work actually changed me as a person. My older daughter, unfortunately, was already out of the house. She was off at college. So she didn't get a sense of the change in me. So to this day, we're still kind of trying to work through some issues that we have together. My younger daughter and I are pretty open with each other. My older daughter's still a little bit, is still guarding herself a little bit, which is understandable. And I, I totally understand that. So, Have they done the process? No. Neither one. Do you think they're open to it? Yes, especially my younger daughter, because she's seen, uh, she saw what happened with Joe, uh, and she saw what happened with me. My older daughter, I don't think she's in that place yet, and I can understand that, and she's got to be ready for it. Uh, I don't try to pressure anybody to do any of this stuff, and it's just whenever they're ready for it, and they're open to it. Me neither. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's so powerful to come to be a Hoffman student because you wanted to be, or it doesn't even need to be Hoffman. It can be just looking inward, whatever your vehicle is to go inward and to do some of that healing. It's it's a whole lot more effective when it comes from you. Walt, what a beautiful story and what a beautiful way to be a man, to be a father, to be a husband, to be a son. Wow. I'm really touched by your story. And uh, yeah, I just, I'm just letting it kind of soak in. It's such a feel-good story. So thank you so much for being here and for sharing with everybody. And I, uh, every time I interact with you, I now get why Joe says. Like, literally any time I teach with her, I hear that this is the kind of relationship that just gets deeper and deeper every day. And uh, I really do get it, having spent time with you. Thank you, Sharon. You know, I've been working with you for a while now, too, and I have so much respect for the depth and your ability to bring out in people, especially what I've seen through these podcasts, to bring out the joy and the life and really be able to portray people and give insight into the people that they are. Thank you very much for your work as well. Well, thank you all. It's been a treat working with you, and thank you for being here today. And we will end it at that. Thank you, listeners. We will see you next week.
Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Ras Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.